Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you for being with us. You are listening to Share What You're Making. I am your host, Chair. Along with me is my co-host. Bacon? Do I say my name like a Pokemon now? Is that how this works? I was going to say it, but I'm glad that you said it. Okay. It's funnier and more awkward when I say it myself. Well, we're, we're on a roll here early. We are the high kick through the roof of Web3 podcasts. And before we get anything started, I have to ask you all to please like this video. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to Meta Media. That's M-E-T-A Media on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Hit that notification bell. You'll know when every episode of Share What You're Making goes live. Follow us on Twitter. The show's account is at Chair Bacon. That's at Chair Bacon. Please follow Metagame on Twitter at Metafam. What's your Twitter, Bacon? It's Baconator with an H. Just I don't tweet that much. If you want, if you want it, you'll find me. I'm around. Well, you can find me at very comfy v r y c m f y we appreciate the boost bacon today on the show we have an og founder of ethereum hell yeah we do we have officially made it chair like this is legit like podcast can be over now we've got it like everything else from here is just like cruising just cruising like we've got an ethereum founder we've made it it's official we can just cruise here now i'm so fucking hyped he was such a cool dude to talk to as well we had such a fun conversation. He was very down to earth, very insightful. Uh, mm-hmm. A laid back guy was very uh, went very yeah. deep into the very origins of uh, Ethereum, the early days before likely there was even a name for it. Uh, and conversations in mm-hmm. hot tubs and uh, and road trips mm-hmm. and uh, Skype groups all had to synergize in order to to make it happen yes it's important that we kept saying skype call and he made it very explicitly clear that it was a skype group and not a skype call i guess because there's probably like you mentioned before a bunch of text conversations and whatnot and not just a singular call like saying skype call i guess makes it sound singular when it sounds like it was an ongoing dialogue um in an overall like chat group well i'm glad that skype got to be a got to play a small part in the revolution uh yeah people always be forgetting skype it's all discord now kids these days they don't know skype you can find texture who is our guest today that is uh, at i am texture on twitter he is quite the twitter personality i enjoy him immensely uh his tone and his humor is refreshing uh, his project is Texture Punks. It is not live yet. It is dropping soon. It is his own version of CryptoPunks, and he'll get into it. Um, that project can be found at Texture Punks with an X on Twitter. Uh, folks, this is uh, episode eight for us, and we have secured a an Ethereum founder for us to 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 dig into and 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 get his perspective on and and hopefully he is coming back soon so we can 
follow up with all of the questions that we missed, but this is a juicy one. This is, yeah, a, is. Legit, a long one. A legit banger. Uh, this is an interview. I think Texture has done one other podcast mm-hmm. interview. Inside.com was the other podcast. Did. It's like a, they don't need any run. They don't need any video run. Cast. They don't need any run. Share what you're making with Chair and Bacon. That's at Chair Bacon on Twitter. Meta Media on YouTube. <laughs> but this is this is really um, one thing that we failed to ask him was. Uh, what he does with his skin routine. Skin routine, skin yes. Routine. Uh, so that... We have to... Most radiant skin in Web3. Saying it now. That's just his new candle. Radiant skin. Right. Um, have to ask about that skincare routine. I can't disagree with you there, Bacon. Folks, without further ado, please enjoy our interview with Texture. Please like and subscribe on our YouTube page. That's Meta Media. Thank you, Bacon. Thank you, Chair. We'll see you guys. Thank on... you for dropping that people should follow us four times in the intro. We'll see you guys on the other side. Hint, hint. This podcast is brought to you by Metagame. Find us at metagame.wtf, wiki.metagame.wtf, and follow Metafam on Twitter at Metafam. Metagame. You'll leave with more questions than you started with. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Big guest today. Giant guest today. Really excited. Thrilled to have them. We have an Ethereum co-founder. Super hype. The founder of TexturePunks NFTs and a long list of accolades and credits that go to his name. We'll get into it. Welcome to the show, Texture. How are you? What's up? I'm... Sick as shit, but I'm here, and uh, we we appreciate that. We appreciate you fighting through um, the sickness to come on the show today. Yeah, I pounded some children's cough medicine right beforehand so that you guys minimize the sniffles and coughs that would have to be edited out. We really appreciate you powering through. There, it, there are a ton of things that uh, I'd love to get into, and, and maybe we'll get them all. But definitely want to cover the early days of Ethereum, how you became involved sort of the, the origin story there um but even before that uh you have been a cto a lead dev a tech lead uh you know very the deep deep and um and high-ranking responsibilities within within a company can you talk about your developer origin story as we get into it sort of how how you came into software even before it yeah, so uh, I was like eight, and I was at my grandma's house, and uh, she had just like a basic DOS computer, and then I found BASIC, and then I didn't have anything to do, so I just started figuring out how to program BASIC, and then when I was a little older, I convinced my parents to buy me like a, a copy of Visual BASIC, and then I started programming that, and then I got into like... GeoCities, do you guys are you guys old enough to remember that? Yeah, yeah, we're old enough. I was too stupid to actually figure out the interface to make the website look the way that I wanted, so uh, I just went and learned HTML so that I could design my website the way that I wanted. I actually started off like I, I was not particularly technically minded; I was a lot more artistic, 
And so a lot of the stuff was just like, I would have ideas for things and in, in order to build them, I had to learn to program. And so HTML was pretty easy. And then, you know, obviously had to learn JavaScript. And then when I was 16, I had an idea for a website. And the idea was basically like, you know, I was a musician as well. And I just thought the internet's going to be huge and music is going to be big on the internet at some point. I want to build like a website where musicians can publish their music and fans can follow them and fans can have their own pages. And this sounds a lot like MySpace because it basically was, except for it was about six years before MySpace. And I was like a little kid living in Arkansas, which is where I grew up. And um, nobody understood what I was talking about. like. People just thought I was crazy. Like, even the people that I knew, like, like I had an uncle who was a tech, like a, a consultant, and he was like, "You gotta, you gotta do like a a business plan." And like, right? I was like, "Dude, I don't know how to do that." But anyways, like, I had to learn PHP and backend programming, and so I basically like had to become a full stack dev and designer to execute that project. And that was really like really where I got into like the actually being a developer and. And actually doing stuff like that, but you know, I ran it for a couple of years, but it was it was a bit ahead of its time, and nobody nobody understood what I was talking about. Artists, nobody. So finally, what happened was MySpace hit. I was like in my early twenties. I was like waiting tables in Arkansas, like just fucking off. I just it was just like a good lifestyle to like wait tables, not have a lot of responsibilities, do tech stuff on on the side, and sleep in and drink and have fun. MySpace uh, hit really big. I just thought, well, like, clearly I'm the world's foremost expert on this. I, you know, I've been thinking about it since before these people have. Uh, so I just got on the internet and I started searching anyone who was doing any project at all. Uh, and I found these guys doing uh, a thing called Metro and I hit them up. And it was like a location-based chat program for your computer. So you could just meet people near you. And I thought it was pretty cool. And I just messaged them and said, I'll work for free. Just tell me whatever you need to do. So like they gave me this little widget thing. I did it in like two hours or whatever, designed it, did all the code. And they were like, holy shit, you're a badass. So two weeks later, they like called me and said, hey, we're all moving out to Palo Alto from Chicago. Do you want to move with us? And uh, so I said, yeah, fuck it. So like I got on a plane two weeks after meeting them and moved out to Palo Alto and uh, worked on that for a bit. It ultimately didn't work because, I mean, two things. One, it was also ahead of its time. If you look at things like Tinder and, and even Grinder, it was like that, but like 12 years before. And we ended up having a huge problem, which was like, if you were a female on the app, oh. <laughs> like yeah, age, old, age old tale, you would get hundreds of messages. Uh, and so it kind of just, it, it was a little early, but that was how I really got involved and moved out to Silicon Valley for the first time. And then I spent the next 10 years, you know, in various failing startups and kind of just like almost being a vagabond. Like I'd work, you know, in a startup and then leave and then do like a few months of dev work and then just live the rest of the, the year doing research and working on my own projects and stuff. Did you feel a culture shock coming from Arkansas, moving to the Bay and, and, and the A area lifestyle? Yeah. I mean, I loved it. I loved the Bay Area in general. The biggest shock to me was like, I liked technology, but I liked technology as like a tool. It wasn't just like I liked computers for the sake of computers. And like, honestly, the way that I got into computers was I did grow up in a very tiny town. And 
it was, it was like, there was this one day that was like a after school special, like where we, we was, we were skaters. So we would skate and the police would harass us every day and threaten to arrest us. And one day we were like, we we're like, let's go skate. And my friends all were like, no, I'm tired of getting harassed by the police. Like, let's just go like smoke weed. Some of the older kids gave us weed. And like, we all walked behind the neighborhood. They like pulled out a bowl, started smoking weed. And I was like, I think I'm a little young for this. I'm just going to go home now. And then I just got on the computer and, and uh, that's how I did it. But I mean, and, like in terms of culture shock, the biggest shock was how fucking nerdy everybody was that was in the computers. So like I freaked out because I was just like, don't you guys have any interests that aren't computer related like at all? So I was like kind of a piece of shit. We would go to parties and if the party was like too shitty and nerdy, I would just steal all their alcohol in a backpack and leave and we would go have a party somewhere else. <laughs> oh man. A time, a time tested move. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, I think my favorite part of that story is your friends are like, oh, we're tired of getting harassed by the cops for this perfectly legal activity. So let's go do something that's illegal and not get harassed by the cops. The craziest thing about that story is it, it the, the police were idiots. They don't realize this, but it set off like a crime spree and like drug problem in that town for like a decade because all those people got super into drugs. And like eventually they got into pharmaceuticals and they were like breaking into pharmacies and like it, it, it like just created this massive like unintended consequence of these kids who just wanted to be skaters being p- pushed out of their one thing to do into this boring ass city where or your town really um, where all they could do was drugs. And, um, you know, I would say like all of them have either been in prison or rehab or you know, a large, a large percentage of them are dead now. So like it was, it was a bad time. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sucked, but it's definitely one of those things that I feel like lucky that I was able to, you know, make it out of not falling victim to that, but then also, you know, being able to excel over a a longer time period. So I'm seeing a pattern starting to build here is like you were, you had the idea for MySpace early. Yeah. You had the idea or part of sort of the, the team that was, early to tinder and sort of being being a founder of ethereum you were very early to an idea that now and only really now is really starting to take root and that was eight years ago yeah that's that's the thing is like you can have a good idea but timing is really essential i've always been kind of forward looking and and a lot of the reason that i i said i constructed my life like you know, I wasn't homeless in the sense of living on the streets, but I, I was generally unhomed. I would, I would like sleep on couches and things like that. And the reason was is because I really valued research time. I really valued being able to think and I really valued able, being able to think about what the future was going to be. And to me, I, I didn't really worry about like how, how I was going to survive or, or eat. I just kind of believed in myself and, you know, believed in my ability to kind of maintain social networks and have people love me and be kind of generally friendly and and a person that people wanted to be around. It wasn't until I was like 28 and I was like, this shit's going to wear out once I'm 30. Like people aren't going to want, they're not going to think I'm like cute and fun anymore. So I really kind of buckled down and that was around the time that, you know, the Ethereum stuff started to emerge. That's the exact age that I started feeling old. Yeah. On my 28th birthday, I, I, I got incredibly drunk and realized that's it. This is it. You might as well be 30 now. 
Yeah, it's been all downhill from 28 for sure. Yeah, after 20, you're like really looking at that and it's like, you can be a fucking whatever in your 20s and and that's fine. But in your 30s, I think people expect more. And honestly, like now that I'm 38, I think, uh, <laughs> if my girlfriend was here, she would tell me. But, you know, it's like that time goes by a lot faster than you think it's going to. So it, it really is one of those things like, in, in retrospect, it's like, if there's anything you want to do with your life, I, I would say like, people need to start about five years earlier than they really want to be like at it. Cause it, it's going to take at least that, that amount of time. That's pretty good advice. Also somewhat depressing for us getting up at age, but definitely good advice. Well, you know, if you've, you know, hopefully, and I don't know how other people move, but if you've developed enough social networks and you, you know, to me, I think a, a huge part of, the, of being successful is being adaptable and, and being able to get to a place. Like if you see an opportunity, take an opportunity and if you see a better opportunity, take a better opportunity and just do that without burning bridges and while developing yourself and your skills and maintain your relationships. And, and eventually, you know, the, it's just like a probability matrix. You just get closer and closer. And as long as you as long as you can handle what, what most people might consider failure for, for an indeterminate period of time and not lose that drive, like success is just really a matter of time. It's not a matter of if it's it really is a matter of when yeah no those, that's good points i mean this is sound starting to sound like motivational speaking but yeah no for sure like i'm getting motivated as fuck yeah right it's now. i mean we've definitely taken a veer from technical stuff to more like personal lifestyle shit but this is good this is good stuff and like that's very reminiscent of both like the old adages like what is it success is the intersection of preparedness and opportunity and then like the old thomas edison quote some people say i failed 999 times trying to invent the light bulb i just say the light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps or whatever right like you know those classic these classic lines i think it's one of those things that's really rough too because the you kind of have a split between these like hustle porn people and people who worship them and the people who have kind of like a, a horror horrific aversion to that kind of talk and then once you're successful and when I say the word successful, I mean, a lot of people take issue with that. Like, I think success is obviously like a nuanced thing that not around money, but just for simplicity's sake, like achieving some some instantiation of something meaningful in your society or your community or your culture, which may or may not come with, you know, monetary rewards. It's just the achieving of what you set out to is, is what I would determine yeah personal success not necessarily financial success or fame success but just personal like you achieved what you wanted to you made the world better around you right yeah but the problem is if it comes with financial success like people just immediately treat you a lot of the time like you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth like go fuck yourself you have nothing to tell me you're just saying things that are in like self-help books and it's like well i was reading those self-help books but you know like how do you think i stayed motivated it's not bullshit it's just if you're expecting it to happen in a time frame that's that's reasonable and not soul crushing, it, you're going to need a lot of luck. And a lot of people say that too, like, well, you were lucky. And it's like, yeah, but I, I knew that it was going to require luck. But, but if you don't, if you, as you see dice on the table and it costs zero dollars to roll them, but it just makes you feel sad when you lose, like all you have to do is get over being sad and then grab the dice and learn to roll as fast as you can until you get, you know, a winning hand. Like, like our winning role or whatever. Like, also, 
I think it is important to mention that luck is is a component and there's definitely luck involved in this. But like you see with great inventors, legendary people in history, right? They always have this track record. And it's the same track record that you show, right? So like there's luck involved with it and there's a little bit of luck in that you fell, fell in with Ethereum and things, stars align there, right? But there's also this track record of you were ahead of the game on MySpace, like Jared just said, you were ahead of the game on like this Tinder type thing. And so it's like you were constantly putting, you know, shots on goal and then one of them came through, right? So it's not like it's just luck. It's like you were constantly out there working on something and then one of them clicked, right? Yeah, and, and you have to be like a lot of people think hustles like an outside thing. It's an external thing. It's like it's not hustles inside. It's the transformation of yourself. It's how you learn and how you adapt. And I think that's the most important thing is always focusing on the way that you think and the way that you develop yourself, the way that your mind functions and and really learning from your mistakes and taking personal ownership of how your thinking and reasoning got you to where you are both positive and negative, and then trying to refine that over time. Um, and then again, like the biggest part is, is don't not play the game because it's, it's luck, quote unquote, like play the game. It's free to play. You know, like it's not as scary as people think they are, or uh, they think it is because you only have a little bit of time on this planet. Real life is a, is a, a schlep too. Like, you know, it's like getting up and going to your job is, is a risk even if people don't think it is and the upside is just not there. So if you're constantly playing games with like very low downside that uh, other than just emotional stuff and potentially super high upside, like that's, that's a way more fun game, I think, but you know, everybody's different. So, yeah, I mean, that's very reminiscent of the game. Like that's what we say. We're like, play the game, just get like, that's why it's called metagame. It's like game is like get the game of life, game theory, stuff like that. Right. And so that's what our, our whole thing is like, just jump in and play the game. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like if you jump in and start playing the game, like that's how you get exposed to those opportunities you need, right. To be successful. Right. Yeah. And so it's just like, you just get in and, and get at it. Yeah. And I think this, this is a, another kind of important thing too, is especially like launching, like, let's say something like texture punks. It was a joke and we can get into more of it, but like people hit me up all the time. Like, how do I get VIP? How do I get whitelist? And it's like, is this how you live your life? Like, do you just show up and ask what you can get like as fast as you can? That's not what you do. You show up with no expectation of anything other than you're going to contribute value. So like in the story of when I got moved to Silicon Valley, I didn't negotiate a salary. I didn't negotiate like what I was going to get out of it because at the end of the day, it's like, what can I do for you? And then it's up to me to figure out how to leverage that after I've kind of gotten myself into the situation. And if you negotiate too hard on the on the on the front end about what it's about for you, it's like the dynamic just doesn't work over time because you're because you're being extractive and it just it doesn't work the same way. Yeah, it is, and it's fucking annoying. If you walk up to me and you ask what I can do for you, the answer is like I can tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, and if you walk up to me and you say what can I do for you, like the answer may be nothing, but at least I have a little bit more. Like you, I'm gonna talk to you a lot longer. You know what I mean? I'm going to respect you and, and, and develop a relationship with you to the best degree that I can. And sometimes you can feel it. Uh, people coming into a new community or not, like you can just, you only have text and, and a PFP and a username, but you can sort of, you can, after you've seen it and been around it long enough, you can tell like, ah, this is kind of, this is an extractive situation rather, or seems like this person can contribute and we can. Yeah, yeah. And like, I noticed, like, people probably don't know this, but I notice, like, especially in the context of texture box, like, I notice who's hustling on Twitter and who's in the Discord. And like, 
even if they're just liking things and retweeting things and I never have a conversation with them, like I see it and I take note of every single person who's contributing. And, and the goal is to make sure that at some point there's a reward for them because they're not like standing up and saying, like, look at what I'm doing. They're just doing stuff. And so I think it's also important for the people who are trying to create structures or systems of value to, to really pay attention to who's supporting them without asking for anything in return. And like, you know, even, even to criticize like some of the projects in, in crypto, it's, it's a lot of like, how can we extract value from the ecosystem and how can we make a bunch of money? And, and not to say that a lot of people haven't made a ton of money, but you know, like uh, hopefully they can sleep at night. <laughs> That's very, very poignant. You can have a whole bunch of money come in for one reason or another, but if you're waking up in the morning and you're crying or you can't, or you can't fall asleep. Or you or when you can't get out of bed to start the day. Well, it's like, you know, you fucking like, like the Do Kwans of the world or whatever the fuck, like, dude, you lost 40, whatever, $60 billion of, you know, money that maybe you like willed into existence. But like, that's, that's a lot of fucking people, dude. That's a lot of people who are hurt by this shit that you created and you walked off, you know, and, and he can tweet shit like I didn't profit off the crash. Okay, dude, well, like... Let's see what your bank account looks like where you were profiting before the crash because like those people don't have that money anymore and I, I I'm certain that you have a lot. And also like it's not fucking worth it, dude. Money is not it's not that satisfying. It really isn't. It's not worth it to like sell your soul for a bunch of fucking money that you're going to blow on things you don't need and that ultimately aren't ha- aren't going to make you happy and also make the world a shittier place and ruin other people's lives like it's, that's ridiculous. We started on texture punks a little bit, and 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 let's get into that for for a little bit here. The you said it started as a joke, which uh, a lot of NFT projects do. Rainbow rolls, anyone? Yeah. So I mean, I am present in, in some ways, and I see the future in some ways. But you know, my models didn't take into consideration a lot of things. Like, no offense to anybody who's listening but like people are a lot dumber than you expect them to be and they do things in a lot dumber ways than you expect yeah you know things like when we first when when we first were talking about ethereum it was like very visionary very like what like high level like what it could do for the world and so things like icos when they came out like i was super angry because i didn't think people would just say like, well, IPOs are not technically legal. Let's do a much stupider version. And we had talked about things like digital ownership. So things like, I mean, somebody's like selling a build, like a 27, sorry, a million dollar building in uh, New York, I think as an NFT right now. And so things like, you know, ownership of buildings, ownership, like titles and things like that we thought of, but we didn't think like, oh, people are going to sell pictures of like hats and goblins and whatever like we didn't know that was gonna happen yeah apes whatever so the way that texture punks came about is you know one of the groups that i'm in they were talking about punks and they're like oh man they're like 20 grand they're gonna go to the moon and i was just like i don't care like i just don't like it seems really stupid and then when they were selling it over 100k i was like they're ugly though man they're not even good they don't even look good and they're like they're paying 100 grand for this shit uh, I'm just going to make one a cooler one because I like grew up. The only reason I really got involved in computers was because I watched that movie Hackers and I thought maybe you could be cool and also into computers. And then I spent like 
over two decades uh, realizing like mm, most people into computers are not that cool, but I still have, you know, and I think a lot of us have like, there's like a, a cyberpunk vibe, like that we kind of think is cool. So I just was like, what would it, if it was like a hackers cyberpunk inspired like version that actually looked cool, what would it, what would it look like? So I just made one for myself. I threw it up. And then a friend Zoe immediately commented like where'd you get your pfp i want one and i was like i just made it it was just a it's just a joke so she asked if i'd make her one i made her one and then like 20 or 30 other people asked them and so i was just making them by hand and then i just thought this is i've just spent an entire week of my life making pixel art this is a huge waste of my time (laughs) i should uh just make like a like i'll hire a dev and just like let people make them on their own and mint them and uh it was like a it was just a joke. I thought maybe like 100 to 500 people that followed me already might want one. And then when we launched the Discord on 420, completely by accident. Like, no, like I will never, never believe that. No matter what you say, I will never believe that was an accident. The funniest thing is it was like 419 and I was driving down the street and I just like texted my buddy and said, hey, dude, can you set up a Discord for Texture Punk? Somebody just mentioned it. It's probably a good idea. He was like, I'm busy today. I'll do it tomorrow. So, I mean, like, you don't have to believe it. I mean, you can believe in <laughs> me mastermind, but uh, the universe is the line. And uh, so the next day, like 4,000 people showed up in one day and we were just like, what the fuck? And then 8,000 people showed up and, you know, we didn't have any plans for like a cap. We had no plans for anybody being interested in it. And then it just kind of spiraled out of control really quickly. But when I see an opportunity, I'm going to take it. And so now we've just kind of spun it into this, this thing and kind of we're, we're seeing where we can take it. I'm going to start my own podcast and we've been able to talk to some like pretty interesting people. You know what I mean? Like the, the goal is going to be to, I think kind of like, like one of the things I'm good at is I'm able to talk to pretty much anyone about anything so it's not just, I think a lot of the Web3 podcasts are very insular, like talking about Web3 to Web3 people and... Feel called out, but yes. No, it's fine. <laughs> uh, I mean, and it's like, that's not really that interesting to me. I already have like a crypto career. And so for me, it's like, how can I bridge to other things that I'm interested in? So whether that be like having a podcast with like a, a scientist or, or researchers who study, you know, technology or even things like rappers or musicians or people who are interested in, in in the space, but just kind of more generally like bridging all areas of culture and talking more about the things that I think more broadly are going to come come to real. Just just kind of being like a, a Rosetta Stone of culture. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because there was I I'm actually a lab manager for a biotech company. That's well, I'm going to leave that soon to work full-time Web3, but that's what I've been doing the past many years of my life. I've been in the biotech sector, um, and I was looking to apply to this new, com- new, this new really cool company that started, and they were looking for a Web3 community manager. And I was like, huh, but like that's weird. Like, Why is that? Like, I guess it's finally starting to go mainstream. Like, They're looking to cultivate. I don't know what they want. We need to actually reach out to them, chair about trying to get them on the podcast, see what they're doing. But I don't know why this biotech company wants a Web3 community and a DAO, but they do. So it's... Right. They might not know because sometimes I talk to people who are just like in regular jobs and 
like people are going to their like conferences and being like, you need a Web3 strategy. You need an NFT strategy. It doesn't matter if you understand it now, but you need to just start doing it. So possible they literally just had someone tell them, like hire someone and figure it out. Yeah, I, that might be it. I'm not sure. So one of the lead uh, scientific founders is uh, George Church for that company. And he's had some blockchain involvement for a couple of years going now. Um, he did an early experiment where he was trying to do a blockchain tagged ownership of the human genome. Oh, wow. So you could get your genes sequenced and then basically it'd be NFT'd, right? And then blockchain owned. And so companies could borrow them. Like Snow, currently companies have like patents on like huge parts of the human genome. Okay. So the idea was to stop that and let people get sequenced and then have their genome published as an NFT. And then companies could use that from the bat database, but they'd have to pay royalties to those individuals, right? Okay. So that was a that was a project he was running a couple this must have been like probably like five years ago. This is probably like early on or even before Ethereum. Uh, it must have been after Ethereum. But yeah, but this was like four or five years ago. Yeah. So that particular instance may be different. But I do know that a lot of really basic companies, even like Walmart and shit like that, you know, they they just know that they need to do something, but they don't know what it is, which I'll be happy to take a ton of money to tell them what they should do. <laughs> yeah, that's the advantage um, is getting to consult for these things and try to guide people the right way. And then also there's money behind it. Yeah. I mean, if, if they have a bunch of money and they want to give it to me, I'll definitely tell them. I mean, the last time I talked to Walmart, uh, I was invited one time for the Institute to the Fu- uh, the Institute for the Future in Palo Alto. And I basically just told them to fuck off. Sounds like sounds like the typical reaction to Walmart. Yeah, I was just like, you guys are fucked in the long run. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> but I, you know, seeing how Web three, I mean, I never called it Web three. That was like Gav Wood who created that term. But you know, I think we're a little bit further out. But I do think that because crypto really fundamentally allows for solving coordination problems in novel ways, eventually we'll be able to kind of do a lot of stuff that that requires massive corporations to move things and data and people around it will be able to like develop sort of like protocols for that stuff but i don't know if that's a 10 year 15 20 50 year timeline so who knows yeah interesting um real quick i think we're starting to get back on track here we've got very sidetracked but it's been good it's been great content though it's all been good stuff though even though we're not on track it's all been really good but quick question for you so you mentioned that web3 is not a term that you typically use or that you did use um do you have a preferred term or an opinion on the different terms for the space i don't give a shit Okay, I just figured I'd ask. Is it a capital W? Or- <laughs> I don't give a shit. I mean, it just in the beginning, like it wasn't something we thought about. It was just like... Mm-hmm. Well, one of the early... I feel like one of the early GitHub repos for Ethereum is named Web3. It was probably created by Gap. Okay. I mean, I'm sure that he probably had that in his, in, in his mind and he was pushing that kind of narrative. And, and it took it's taken hold. And I, and I guess it makes sense because you had Web2 come out and then it's just like, what's Web3 going to be? Well, if we call this Web3, then whatever somebody else is going to try to create isn't going to be able to take that space. But from a like competitive technological evolution standpoint, it, it at least kind of solidifies that nothing else is going to come in. And- That's true. And I mean, I'm pretty sure, isn't Tim Berners-Lee behind it as well? Isn't he pretty much on board? I don't know. I don't know. Him. I think I think he's pretty well behind the Web3 stuff too. From what I've seen, I think he's tweeted about it or something. I don't know. I think I saw something with his name on it that was Web3 friendly. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's firmly cemented now, at least. So the uh, you mentioned you, you dropped Gavin Wood's name a, a few times, and I, I 
this fascinating time to think about as things were coming together and backtracking a little bit. You mentioned like around 28, which if I'm doing some very rough math in my dome, that would put us like around 2012 or 2013, maybe something like that. And I take us through how uh, I heard on, on another podcast, you mentioned a Skype call that happened between yourself and Vitalik that sort of uh, spearheaded things uh, right around the time that the white paper. Yeah, it was a, it was a Skype group, not a Skype call. Like it, there wasn't really like Discord and Telegram and all that stuff back then. It was really just Skype. And so we had a Skype group that we came to. Yeah, we didn't record this in the last podcast. It was pre-podcast. But uh, what happened was, you know, in that time that I was that I said that I was spending my time thinking, I really kind of fancied myself like a modern day revolutionary, but I wasn't like confident that there was a model for what an instantiation of a revolution would look like. And so it wasn't like I just thought like, let's fucking grab guns and march in the street or some ridiculous thing like that. So I developed this model and it was basically like, if you want to have a revolution, you have to have the revolution in the sphere in which power is held. And so historically, like before, like kind of like political institutions don't exist, you can't have a political revolution. You just go out on the streets with stir shit and you, you know, it's violence. So basically, like, I just thought through it and I was like, well, money and technology is really the root of power, even, even beyond political power. And I had just been researching kind of human systems and coordination systems. And I had a friend who was in the Bitcoin, like, I guess he was on the crypto mailing list. So he was like that, that Bitcoin was announced on. And he, uh, he kept bothering me about Bitcoin. And I was like, I do not give a shit about your nerd money distributed by lottery. It's so stupid. Please leave me alone. And I ignored him for years and years. He first told me about it when it was like a dollar or less. And then, you know, I remember it going like 14 and then crashing and me feeling bad for him and thinking like, oh man, he must have lost so much money. And eventually like I got to a point where I'd been programming for so long and sitting at a computer for so many hours a day that I had RSI in my arms. I had to give up being a dev for the most part. So I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? Like, I am going to potentially lose the only source of income that I have. I'm not going to be able to do this for the rest of my life. So I was living in California and the weed industry was, was like emerging pretty well. And there was not a lot of like very coherent marketing or people that were competent at creating brands. So I just thought, well, fuck it. Like I'll just go create a weed brand. So I was actually uh, making hard candies and selling them to dispensaries. And I, had ended up in the situation where I was like, it's like the worst, you know, like, so I was making like six figures at 23 and at 28, I, I had to move to this, like, maybe it was 29. I had, I had to move to this like small town in the middle of California. It was like a $300 a month room. I was totally, totally fucked. Like I was just, those was like the lowest. So he got me this job, like doing front end coding for a Bitcoin casino. And I agreed to get paid in Bitcoin and it hit like, 1200 right before then and so i had two two thoughts like one yeah i'll accept this you know job and then two was okay it doesn't really fucking matter if i think bitcoin is stupid because i've watched it go from nothing to 1200 dollars, and enough 
other people think it has value, then I should at least pay attention to it a little bit. So I, I accepted that job to be paid in Bitcoin and then Bitcoin crashed. And I, it cost, I think the first thing that I did with Bitcoin was immediately lose $10,000. Ouch. That was the first thing that I did. That's rough. Yeah. So I had a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, but he kept bothering me and he was like, dude, you just have to like, please listen to at least this like one episode of this podcast. Like it was called Let's Talk Bitcoin. It was hosted by a guy named Adam B. Levine. Um, it was the podcast that Andreas Antonopoulos was on, who was, you know, a lot of people probably don't know who he is now, but basically like Bitcoin's first mega evangelist who traveled around, you know, proselytizing people about Bitcoin. So it was pretty big at that time in the Bitcoin space. So I just like threw back one of my candies and like sat and listened to the podcast. And I just was like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it sounds, it sounds crazy. And the experience was crazy, but like, it was like a biblical vision, like a fucking four dimensional object beamed in my head where I just saw the future, like crystal clear, like still wasn't interested in Bitcoin, but I saw that like the mechanisms behind the technology would allow for a fundamental restructuring of human cooperation and coordination and it and it wasn't like a series of thoughts it was like a full movie boomed into my like just hit me in the head and i just saw it all clearly and so it just so happened that guy who got me to listen to the podcast came into town two days later and i went and met with him and i was like i need to meet adam from the podcast and he was like, why? And I was like, because I have seen the future and I need to talk to him because at that, I figured anybody who wanted attention would try to get in touch with him, right? So he's like, well, in a couple of days, I'm flying up to meet him in Washington State for a business meeting. And I said, no, that's not going to happen. Cancel your flight. We're getting my car right now. We're driving up. He was like, what? And I was like, no, this is important. Like, I'm going with you. I don't care what your meeting's about. Like, I'm going get in my car. So he's like, all right. And so he jumped in my car and drove like however many hours. I don't, I don't know how many hours it was from uh, wherever the fuck I live, Oakland uh, to, um, to Washington. It was like 26 hours round trip or maybe one way. I don't even know. It was forever. And we get there and I just like roll in. I don't even know that they had their business meeting to be honest. I just like accosted Adam and I said, listen, I need to talk to you. And we ended up like, hopping in this hot tub that was on his balcony. It was like some spa. It was his birthday. Oh man. He was there celebrating his birthday with his wife. And uh, <laughs> I just sat in the hot tub with him and I just fucking hit him with all this shit. And he was, and you know, like it was really like, you know, he was riffing with me and like, you know, we both got really excited and he said, well, listen, like, you know, there's probably only five or six people thinking about this in the world. And one of them is this kid named Vitalik. He just sent me this white paper this week. I haven't read it fully yet, but I'll send it to you. So I said, yeah, you know, whatever. Like, sounds like, you know, the stars are aligning. So uh, he sent me the paper. I read it. I was like, it's not really exactly it. It's like kind of like under engineered for like in terms of what I, you know, saw. But I thought, you know, like whatever, it's fake, like intro me to Vitalik. And so... I don't know, a day or two later, you know, we all ended up in a Skype group and it was, I remember me, Vitalik, I remember Charles Hoskinson being there. I know Adam was there. My buddy who uh, introed me was there. I don't remember who else was there. I mean, people like Gav Wood really didn't come till later. A lot of the people who, if you look at like 
the historical narrative, like they really weren't there on the on day one. They just they came later, and it doesn't mean they didn't make significant contributions, or that they weren't valuable in some way. Like some, a lot of people weren't. Like Charles Hoskinson was just, I mean, a terrible person, you know, like who almost destroyed Ethereum. And Anthony Diorio, that's why I go by Texture, by the way, because my real name is Anthony D'Onofrio. And so I would meet people and be like, yeah, I'm Anthony D'Onofrio from Ethereum. And they'd be like, oh, the guy from Toronto. And finally, I was like, you know what? Just I'm just going to go by my internet handle, which I also went by with the company Mitro because I'd met them online and chatted with them. So when I moved there, they just continued calling me by my internet name because that's how they met me. So I was kind of excited that this new project, I get to use my real name. But once people started mistaking me for this guy with almost the exact same name who I thought was a piece of shit, I just wanted to distance myself from him. So that's why I'm texture now. And that's why they're texture punks instead of Anthony D'Onofrio punks, which really doesn't work anyway. So 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 real quick how'd you pick the handle texture way back when i mean i don't know i was a little kid so i my first one was like my first handle was cycle like the cycles of life you know like i wasn't really into science so like the cycles of life and blah blah blah. but people kept talking about motorcycles and bicycles and i was like i gotta get a different name and i think i just thought the name texture sounded cool i don't know i couldn't tell you i was an x in it and there's like two t's and it's me i don't know i was yeah. on rc it's definitely interesting it makes you it's it's a it's a name that's kind of evocative of feel right because like you see you see texture and you almost feel texture when you read it right when you see it so it's got a yeah it's got an interesting response that's that's what i always tell people i would be like texture like the feeling you know? <laughs> i don't know yeah interesting you mentioned so chair and i actually ended up finding out that we lived down the street from each other so we've started hanging out a little bit in person um and so we still call each other chair and bacon even though we both you know right yeah, exactly. And it's like when I lived in San Francisco the first time I would, you know, people don't remember Anthony, but like I could go back to San Francisco right now and meet somebody that I met 15 years ago and be like, oh, yeah, te- I'm Texture. And they'd be like, Texture, I met you at a party like 15 years ago, you know. So as far as like branding and name recognition goes, it's really effective, which was not intentional. But also, here's the thing, like people be like, is that your real name? And if I was really... uh like adamant, like a psycho about it, like call me texture. I think I would have gotten mocked out of the room, but I was like, no, it's not my real name. And no, you don't have to call me that. But if you'd like to, you can't. Everybody else calls me it. Makes sense. All right. I got you sidetracked though. So you were talking about how you joined the Skype call, right? It was you and Adam and the guy introduced you and Vitalik and Charles Hodgkins. If I'm pronouncing that correctly, right? No, you don't have to say his name correctly. I don't know. I hold I hold some ADA right now, so I feel like I do have to. Hodgkinson's like the cancer. Hodgkinson's. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it's Hoskins. <laughs> Hoskins. Share what you're making with chair and bacon is brought to you by Metafest 2022, June 9th, June 23rd. Find all the information you need at Metafest. That's M E T A F E S T. Metafest.metagame.wtf. Metafest by Metagame. Um, so anyway, so there's a Skype call group. It was a Skype group. A Skype group. Well, yeah. And so then from there, take us through. Just like tell us, tell us the whole story, like the human interest story, like the how you how it all happened. Yeah, I mean that basically was the genesis. We all kind of talked about what was happening. I had like a kid on the way, so we just kind of uh, organized around the Skype group and. 
because like I said, I was a programmer. I, I was technical, but I did I didn't want to be a technical person in this project, which worked out really well because everybody else was super technical um, with with not a lot of other skills. And because I had a design background, th- the first thing that I really did was uh, Vitalik was like, I made a website for Ethereum. And it was this ugly yellow thing and they had stolen, he had like stolen some shit coins logo and just put Ethereum on it. And I was, I was watching Game of Thrones and it just seemed like one of those moments and where like I could do a little bit of work and it would, it would have an outsized effect on my life. Like, so I just, I'm not a logo designer. I never was, but I just thought I can do better than this. And so I threw together like a, logo which ended up being the proto logo to the one that we have now i just like played around with some stuff it was two sigmas symbols that i put in like a kind of a diamond shape and uh it was 2d and i sent it to him and vitalik's like this is almost exactly what i was imagining for the logo yay and then we put together a website and then you know anytime there were a lot of people vying for positions and things but anytime some like things were pushed out that were kind of ugly, I would just make them better and refine things and make sure that things that went out into the world made us look legitimate, not like a, you know, like a hack job uh, of idiots trying to make the next Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, I could say that I feel like that's important. And on a personal note, I'm very thankful that you did that because I would not have gotten involved in the space had you not done that because one of the things that drew me to ethereum was the website right so like i've also been very like interested in kind of watching this space a bit like i'm not technical enough to have contributed early on but i like remember when bitcoin came out and i followed it i was like this is cool this is going to be something someday probably um like there's something here and then like i kind of kept tabs in space and i read some different things in different places here and there um, but one of the things that struck me about Ethereum was like the website quality. And I was like, okay, now it's actually becoming a thing, right? Like this can go like this can go mainstream. Like it looks like they actually have something here. And so that's part of how I started to jump into Ethereum and actually forge some blocks early on. Whatever happened to that term also, forging, like it was cool because people use the term forging in the beginning to contrast with Bitcoin's mining. And then people dropped it, never just says mining now. Just kind of bummed about. It's really difficult to introduce any specific term. The streets will decide what things. Are yeah, going. they always do, and that's like when people ask me what the future of these things are going to be. Like somebody, somebody in the last podcast that I did asked, like, "Do you think that like ZK rollups are going to kill optimism?" It's just like, bro, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, man. Do you remember plasma? Do you remember that? Like, some there's just constantly people out there doing things in the shadows and coming up with things, and you don't know what's going to hit. You don't know what's going to resonate. You don't know what's going to work. At the end of the day, it's a lot easier to have broad, broader predictions about the effects of things rather than the specific, the specific implementation. Well, I think a lot of it is marking, though, right? Like to get buy-in, you have to get people to feel like feel confident, right? And so, like that's like one of the things that you did, particularly for me with like the website was like I felt confident in Ethereum. I was like, here's something that is polished. Here's something that is like ready, right? And it differentiated from other things I've been looking at that were like. You know, it's just like somebody wrote a paper and it has like a website that's entirely text and it's just like says some shit and it's like, oh, you can go to this GitHub repo and see it. And it's like, I don't want any of that. Right. Like I need something polished that says like, oh, hey, welcome. Here's how you do it. This is what we're envisioning. Right. Yeah. Like so two things. One is it, it's been a problem forever. And because I'm a design first person who learned to be technical, 
and I, I have like design OCD. Like if I see something, like I immediately feel viscerally angry when it doesn't look correct. And I just have a, a, a sense that I want to fix it. And I think a lot of highly technical people, they don't really understand how normal people think. Like a lot of people who are devs will dev in the console in like Vim or some shit. And they just, they don't understand like a normal person doesn't want to memorize 500 key combos to, to learn something. They just want to stare at something. They want to click a button. They want it to be simple. And, you know, it's kind of that like Steve Jobs thing. Like even to this day, even though I have a MacBook Pro right here, like there's no companies that are even like doing this well, you know, like just copying it. And there's a huge like gap t- between like technical people and the way that they think about the world and normal people and the way that they interact with the world. And technical people just kind of like scoff at normal people. And for me, I kind of live between the worlds and I understand the technical stuff, but I also understand that if you want people to use things, and it's kind of a criticism with Bitcoin or, or crypto in general, I get that it's almost cult-like and religious to a degree, but we're not converting everyone to our religion. We are going to create technology and we're going to meet them where they with it, where they are because they're not going to come to us in LA. Uh, what was the second thing that I was going to say? I don't know. I talked over myself. No, I don't know. That was good though. Like, I, And I feel the same way. Like I'm in the same kind of spot with you where like, I mean, well, I don't have your technical ability, obviously. But other than that, I'm kind of in the same spot where I kind of get some technical stuff, but I'm more of a normie. I'm kind of on that bridge there. The thing is too, like I had like a huge uh, conflict with the Ethereum Foundation a few years ago because they had not updated the website in years and the the foundation director changed. So I had a really good relationship with Ming, the last, the last EF director. And then when Aya came in, like she just had no interest in me at all. And like I talked to her a little bit. I said, hey, listen, the website really needs updating. I think it's really important that it needs to look good. And, and in addition to that, I was, again, not a technical person. I had to learn to become technical. And like I learned to program uh, backend software for the web using PHP. And the reason that I could do that was because they had the greatest technical documentation of any programming language ever. Like if you needed to, to, to learn to do something, you just Google it, put php.net or whatever, or, or Yahoo, or I, don't even, I don't even remember what search engines we were using back then. But And then it would take you to a page and it would have not just what like normal programming languages have, which is like an abstraction of how it works, but there would actually be code examples. And then there would be people commenting their code examples beneath it. And so to me, if you're trying to onboard a, a new generation of developers, you want to have you want to have a website that, that both A, looks good, to, to your point, but B, when somebody wants to get onboarded technically or figure out how they can engage with the ecosystem meaningfully, that path needs to be laid out for them. And it needs to be done in a way that's very simple. So like I went, I ended up like going to war with them because it took her six months to even tell me who was in charge of the website. And then that person was a huge dick to me when I was like, hey man, I'll just like do it for free if you just let me. And it was like another six months to a year after that. And it had been handed off multiple other times before it finally got to where it is now, which I've heard and it, it looks a lot better and I've heard, you know, people say that it's a lot easier to get kind of onboarded through. So I'm happy with that. But there was a long period of time where the people that were involved in the core of the Ethereum Foundation really 
just didn't grasp how important that was. And, and it was really frustrating to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. Uh, that's definitely experiences that I believe a lot of us have experienced in the space um, with different projects. Yeah. I have a, I have a, I wanted to go back to the hot tub moment <laughs> sure. for a second, uh, as it will be known as from, from now on. Um, but it seems like one, one of the questions, the, one of my pre-prepared questions, did you have a sense that in the early days, did you have a sense for that this was something really special? And you touched on it a little bit that as you and Adam were starting to chop it up in the hot tub with this, like, okay, something, something's clicking here. And even uh, the, the, the move of driving immediately from the Bay to Washington, as soon as you realized that this person was out there and, and reachable. So it seems like yeah, like was there was there that energy? I, I felt it like specifically and I didn't know why, but in talking with you today, that conversation, that first conversation about Ethereum that I had with a friend, like and the energy behind it, I, all I could I was very non technical at that point. But there was some there was some energy when he said it, it started with Bitcoin, we started talking about Bitcoin, he said, Hey, this was like twenty late twenty fifteen, it's like you need to look at Ethereum. It's like you think Bitcoin's cool. So talk about that energy a little bit, and, and that it, it's what still fascinates me because I didn't know, and I, I didn't know how to write code at that point, so I didn't know what was what made it so cool. But there was something there. So. It's it's funny that you bring that up because there was, you know, this unexplainable, like like you said, energy. It was a thing that like in the early days of Ethereum, when you got it, like when you saw somebody getting it, or when you got it for the first time, you could tell because people would like. They'd be like, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. And all of a sudden, like, they would grab their head and start rocking back and forth. And, like, your head... Sorry. They would, you know, start rocking back and forth and, like, their head would hurt. And that was, like, really strange. Like, it, it was like we were giving birth to this new idea. And as you became kind of a conduit for it, it actually physically hurt. And I think, like, a lot of people can get into it now and not necessarily have that experience. Sorry about my dogs. Uh, <laughs> that's just for the people listening because that's not going to be able to be edited out. So, yeah, there was a, it was a really kind of transcendent thing for for me personally. And like, I'm not, you know, like I said, the thing was beamed into my head like a vision. And and I I don't don't use that term lightly. Like it was it was like transcendent. It was like this weird transcendental object, almost like a spiritual thing, right? And I think that there was a sense that to be clear, like when you're in a 10 years of failing startups, you don't necessarily believe I am part of the thing that is the thing, but I did know that idea was something powerful. So, you know, what I would say to people at that time is Ethereum or something like it is going to change the world. Ethereum or some idea similar to it is going to be revolutionary but i do think like that that energy was unmistakable and now i guess in retrospect i can drop the humility of or whatever and like just know that like no we really were there the time did feel special it felt different from anything and it was palpable and it was something that once people got it it was really transformative and it really it really clicked and so later when we were building the community um you know, to some degree, it was really, it was really easy because it was like, it was an idea whose time had come. And as soon as people saw its existence, like, and once they could get it, it just clicked and cascaded and everybody wanted to be a part of it. 
and and see it come in, to fruition. So it was it was really yeah the energy was real. I haven't really talked to a lot of people like yourself who got into it outside of my sphere, but it is cool to to know that that energy that feeling was something that was hyper resonant even outside the the core. There really was something about I was looking at at web development software development as a potential career change just before just before that that conversation happened. I was aware of Bitcoin from like being on 4chan and stuff and like missing my opportunity like seeing it up watching it dump i'm a genius it goes back up <laughs> you know so like that was my first exposure like 2010 and 2011 like uh and then and, and so watching it, it's like i'm a genius i'm an idiot i'm a genius i'm an idiot and then after a while it's like i'm an idiot i'm an idiot, I'm an idiot. yeah yeah idiot. and so but then right at like 2014 2015 i'm starting to look at a web development and i just I happened to be at an unsanctioned rave in the joshua tree desert having a really good time talking to a friend who who's now like the lead solidity guy at Tacken, uh, his name is Arseni, and he, he started chopping it up on Bitcoin, and he, and that was just like clear. And I felt it, and like it was from that day, from that day, the next morning, I go home, and it started, and it like it, I jumped right into crypto zombies, and then realized like I need to back up and learn HTML, CSS, and classic JavaScript. <laughs> I don't like I can see the thing and I can copy it, but it's not clicking. And it took a while, like a year or two, before I could really grasp and understand like what's happening technically. I had to start from the beginning, but I stayed. It was always, and I had to deviate uh, as the, I started as a support engineer at a healthcare app that was running a Ruby on Rails app, like classic Web2 stuff. And I sort of had to focus on just becoming a better web developer in that context, but always with an eye of like, I'm going back to it. Yeah, for sure. This is it. And yeah, that, that magnetism sort of stayed and um, it's about that energy and talking to you now, like sort of knowing is you were there in the beginning of that core. Cause I, I also don't, I'm not that classic software person. That's like super highly technical. I had to teach a lot of it myself, but it's like, it's the energy, it's the energy and the potential that still lives within it. Cause it's the grasping moment that happens when you start to get like what the potential is down the road. Yeah. Yes. And I would like to ch chime in here and say, I don't know who needs to hear this, but you do not need to have drugs to have that moment. Unlike the two of you, I was on zero drugs at the time when I discovered this. So for the record, he only implied that he was on drugs. He only applied it, but it was pretty, it was pretty heavily applied. The thing about it is you don't need drugs and they don't work for everyone. And, but you know, they worked for me. Yeah. But yeah, no, I also had this transformative experience maybe not as literally but it was very eye-opening yes reading about this and you can have that experience without mind-altering substances and without any kind of technical background as well i believe like it's it's a simple concept to grasp once you actually grasp it it's, it's so simple and elegant and pure if you once you can fit the model in your head which might be a little painful and might take a little time the the implications are pretty pretty mind-blowing you know i think a lot of people who get and i don't know this is all i do is shit posts on twitter and see projects that are coming out. I don't know that everybody who gets into the space grasps it, but I, I guess they're at least doing better than the people who immediately recoil and think it's just like some like 100% scam thing because it's like, there are a ton of scams, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, it's a, yeah, it sucks. It's a blue ocean of. That's the part that always bothers me is like people are like, Oh, cryptocurrencies. There's so many scams. I'm like, have you heard of email? Yeah. <laughs> have you heard of the internet in general? Yeah. Right. Like you use email every day, use the Internet every day and you love them and you think that they're great. And they're like the origin of spam and like 
scams, right? And like now like crypto's coming out and it's just the same shit, just on a new platform, and all of a sudden like, oh crypto's scamming. It's like it's not any scammier than email is or the internet in general is. That's a good point because it's like, have you heard of Facebook? Oh, you mean the place where they publish fake news propaganda from other countries to destabilize our country? Like Yeah, exactly. If you guys remember, it used to be that all the stupid shit came to you through like grandparents on email. It was like what was it called, like email chains or whatever. And then somehow uh, social media managed to turn every single person into a vector for this, this, these mind virus email spam chain bullshit things of like misinformation. So, I mean, the internet in general... And, and I was just, I had a, not a podcast, but a personal call with a couple uh, research scientists yesterday. And we were talking about the complexity of, you know, misinformation, disinformation, and, and things like that, just in general on the internet. And it's, it's a huge problem. And I don't know that the financial and economic in- incentives that exist in Web2 are something that can be fixed within Web2, like the ad model it creates this incentive for hawking bullshit and promoting bullshit and sensationalizing things for attention. And I do hope that that in Web3, because we are so obsessed with incentives and figuring out how to get people to do things differently, I mean, hopefully we can kind of in Web3 build something that fixes a lot of the problems that are created by the economic incentives of Web2. Because this misinformation shit, this way that media is created, sensationalized, and propagated is really detrimental to, I think, human society and, and ultimately even civilization. Like not to get too, uh, you know, dark, but if nobody knows what the fuck is going on and everybody thinks they know what's going on and they're so sure that they're ready to like disown their family and go to war <clears throat> with people that they know and love, that's really destabilizing function and it's it's something that i think is, is really important to solve i think a lot of people are trying um but it's a hard problem it's something i've been working on since the before ethereum even existed and you know i have models and i have ideas but it's, it's a very difficult difficult problem for sure looking forward now in the uh the 10 or almost 10 years now in ethereum's existence and where we are at since uh, I think right 2014, so eight years. Yeah, the doesn't feel like it. I feel you made me feel old. I'm I'm gonna have to podcast now and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. It's been a been a rush. Do you? What would you like to see? I mean, obviously, it can go in 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 many directions, and, and the water will find the easiest path as it flows. But what what would you like to knowing being there at the beginning and seeing where we're at now, the evolution of DeFi with the sort of people, the mass, uh, the masses are starting to accept NFTs as a concept, even if it is through maybe not the most ideal uh, platform of PFPs. Um, but the the seeds have been sown. People are starting to accept it. What What is the ideal state in the next 10 years? What would you like to see come out of this or maybe there's a few things, but if there's one thing that you'd like to see developed, uh, a system to be stood up or a paradigm to be shifted, what what would it be for you? So I think I would like to see 
people be able to own more of the world that they inhabit. So, you know, we have this capacity now to basically spin up at like tokens, which can represent equity in things. You know, I think a lot of why capitalism is is perceived as broken is that the distance between idea and execution outside of the technical sphere is actually, there's a vast gap, the chasm between I have an idea to make my environment better or my world better. And how do I make that happen? And it actually like strangely is almost more difficult locally. Like if you want to start a restaurant in your town, that's almost a bigger risk than if you wanted to start a DeFi protocol because you can fuck up a DeFi protocol and still end up a millionaire. But if you fuck up a restaurant, you're like destitute, right? Yeah, it's true. I would like to see like some of these mechanisms that have existed and and have emerged in kind of like uh, Silicon Valley and you know, there's also like obviously public ownership of companies, but I would like to see like more localized ownership. So people being able to invest more fluidly in things around them, as well as at scale, obviously the regulatory frameworks are not supportive of that right now, but like, why shouldn't you be able to go and like very quickly raise money from your community to start a hamburger shop and they all own some stake in it and do it very fluidly and you can distribute risk instead of putting it on yourself. So like, I really want to see a world in which people can like offer value. Other people can be inspired by that system of value, whether it be very small, like something local or a chain or whatever, whatever scale at all dimensions. I would like to see people be able to, to really take ownership of their world more. Yeah, I mean, just makes sense. Like there's no reason you shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to get funding from people near you like quickly. And there's like legal issues now. Like if you wanted to start something, like you start a company and you want to disperse equity, like you have to pay an attorney and attorneys are not particularly cheap. And if you want to take more investment, it's a huge pain in the ass. Whereas we have a technical solution now that's really simple. We create 10,000 tokens. You sell the tokens. If somebody wants to get out, they sell those tokens to someone else. And that can represent equity in, you know, you could be, instead of some massive corporation building housing in your town, it's like you guys could all somehow come together, figure it out, do investing, have ownership, sell the stakes. I mean, I think those are interesting things to be explored. Just having a deeper relationship and a more fluid relationship with ownership and with the creation of value and with the ability to support each other. So I think we've done all these experiments at a huge scale because somehow the risk is less. Like if you have a billion dollars that you've spun out of nowhere, it's actually a lot less risky than if you just wanted to go like sell tokens in your local town because they can shut you down if you've raised a hundred grand and you're done. But if you have a billion dollars, you can hire the best attorneys on earth and you can throw a bunch of money in your bank account and you can skip the country to somewhere else. So it's like, it doesn't really make sense to me. Like I'm not a let's do every experiment at the largest scale. And I think regulators, whether they know it or not, are creating an environment where it's actually just, it makes more sense to do every fucking experiment at the largest scale that you can when we really should be able to do it in our local communities and, and, and on smaller scales and, and we should be able to like be doing experiments from the ground up rather than like these things where like Doquan fucking loses $40 billion because, you know, 
that was easier to do than some other shit. So I don't know. That that to me is interesting. I want to see it affect normal people's lives and make their lives better. And not in the sense of like, I'm going to fucking buy a PFP and it's going to 10x or I'm going to buy a token and it's going to go up. Like I want it to be a personal thing and I want it to be simple and have good UX and really make the the, the individual feel more empowered and connected to their world. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been thinking about this more recently with like public goods and having or public works and having people join together for things. And it's like, if you've ever been to the Parthenon in ancient Greece, the thing I was most struck by when I went there was, you know, most monuments typically have slave labor, right? The pyramids and all that, right? We're all slave labor, right? But you go to the Parthenon, they're like, there is no slave labor. This is all free labor. The community came together, everyone, all the, no matter your class or station, everyone worked together and built this Parthenon together. And that monument's still here, you know? thousands of years later and it's like that's very striking because like you would never see that today and one of the reasons why i never see that is because there's no collaboration or consensus mechanism to do that right but now with ethereum and this web3 stuff like now there is starting to be at least the framework to create something like that to be able to potentially do something of that nature right obviously it's very complicated but it's there's potential to do that again now yeah i mean that's fundamentally i mean there's there's two fundamental value propositions of crypto. One is, you know, coordination and one is disintermediation and disintermediation can be good or bad, but the coordination stuff I think is, is a huge problem, right? Like I think out of maybe the top three problems on earth, coordination is definitely one of those three. And, you know, the fact, you know, I've said this before, but the fact that there's like, we've created a world in which like a 13 year old kid with no permission can build a, protocol or a, or a financial primitive that can go on to transform the future of human social coordination and capital deployment or capital usage. Like that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like some 13 year old kid in India who's like a genius who would have just like languished in irrelevancy can just get on the internet, deploy this contract. Somebody can see the genius or they can whatever. And like it can change the world. And Shit that isn't going to work, shit that isn't going to serve us in some way, hopefully, and this is where we get to the point where you cut to this interview 10 years from now and, they're, and it's like, ha ha idiot, you thought we couldn't fuck this up. But, you know, hopefully the things that don't work die, you know, they die in the battlefield of it just didn't work, you know, Terra, Luna didn't work. We're going to go on to the next thing and, and only the, the code that's stable and battle tested will work and only the protocols that are stable and battle tested will continue to, to propagate. And hopefully we've created a system in which the most pro-social and you know positive and most beneficial things will float to the top. Now that's obviously me wishing and hoping so that I don't have to feel the guilt that I would have felt had I actually created like MySpace back in the day and be like, oh shit, I'm responsible for, you know, social media. But I do hope, and it is why I'm still in the, it's why I'm still here every day, you know, like people who follow me on Twitter don't, don't really get a sense of who I am because like Twitter's not real and you can't talk like this on Twitter unless you just want no interaction and no one to give a shit. People like funny shit. They like quips. They like personas, but at the end of the day, I'm still here every day because I want to make sure that this thing that I helped bring into the world is guided in a direction that we meant for it to be, that it doesn't end up being scams and shit coins and bullshit. 
And that's really why I wake up every day and like stare into the abyss and like try to connect to people and find people who are doing cool things and make sure that they're connected to who they need. Like that's, that's what I do. Like people don't know that most of what I do is, is I'm just watching and I'm paying attention and I'm reaching out to people and connecting them to people and making sure that if somebody's a good person and they really are trying to, to create something good in this space, that they get the support that they need and that they get the gaps in their organizations filled because that's super important. Things shouldn't die if you have good people that have a good idea, but they're missing one facet, you know, whether that be they're so nerdy, they're not going to be able to do UX or they're so idealistic. They think that you can have flat organizations that actually create some revolutionary thing. Like you, you just get in there and you talk to them and you say, listen, this is your gap. This is what you need. And then you try to figure out how to fill that either individually or by introducing them to someone. And I think that's really important, you know, and like even, even the ship posting can be important. Like the ETH core devs were talking about how they were underappreciated and I like went to war. Like I had my, my like army tag Aya, like why are the ETH devs not being, why are they not being compensated fairly? Why are they being compensated under rate? And I had a lot of people come to me behind the scenes and be like, dude, like, you're being an asshole. And within like four hours, we had $360,000 donated to uh, Peter Zigli, I can't say his name, and Marius. So they both, you know what I mean? So it's like some of the people think that my aggressive persona is not beneficial, but there's two things about me. I'm way more aggressive than almost anyone in crypto. And Fuck, I, I keep doing this two things and then I say the first thing and then I forget what the second thing is. I'm way more aggressive, but I, you know, like it's, it's for a fucking reason. You know, I'm authentic, right? That's the second thing. Like I'm, I'm really authentic. Like I'm not aggressive for no reason. I'm aggressive because it's missing and I'm authentic because it's missing and because that's all that a fucking can be, right? I think I tweeted this yesterday, but like authenticity is a blue ocean. There's fucking almost no one inhabiting that space. Everyone is out here trying to show bullshit and convince you that whatever they're doing is the next big thing. And for me, it's like, fuck that, dude. Like, we don't know. There's some uncertainties. Like, we're doing our fucking best. Like, we're human beings. Some of us are full of shit. That guy's an asshole. Fuck that person. That's not going to work. And this person deserves more recognition. And whether or not you like my methodology or my tactics or my persona on Twitter, it doesn't matter to me because it's not like I'm going to stop. You can, you, you go do something. If you disagree with how I'm doing it, then you accomplish the goals. Otherwise shut the fuck up. Your, your Twitter persona, it, it is, it's, it's not the, the typical sort of uh, vibe that, that you see out of like ETH founders or just people like the makers in the space, but I, I, I really appreciate it. And I like, uh, so I, the tone that you've established, it's uh, it, there's humor there and it's real and you sort of you know that you're getting an authentic opinion. It feels like you're getting an authentic opinion. And I knew I didn't know you at all. We we had never spoken, but I already like you started to get a sense for who you are. And now now after having a conversation with you, it it, it really does make a lot of sense, especially knowing your background and sort of the path that you followed. So uh, it's very valuable, and I I, I appreciate the uh, appreciate that frankness. Well, you know, and there is there is this thing that happens to you when you get the success. And I went through it for a long time, like, because I've always been unabashedly a particular way. And I went through a multi-year kind of like 
confusion of like, now that I'm this person, do I have some responsibility to like pretend to be what you expect out of this type of person or, or what, you know? And I think it took me a lot of time to just finally recognize like people really resonate with authenticity and they resonate with the fact that like I can communicate on whatever level they're on. Like, you know, and again, I mentioned in the beginning, like, I think I'm uniquely positioned that I can talk to anyone. I could talk to you guys. I could talk to ETH Cordevs. I had a call with, you know, like the researchers this week. I also had a call with like manager, one of the largest artists of all time uh, this week. And I can fluidly move between all of these things. And I think that's super valuable. And I think that what I found is that my place in the beginning of Ethereum was being in the middle of understanding what 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 the technical aspect was, but also how to connect to where we needed to connect to go. And I, and I think I'm just accepting that that's who I am. I'm a person who is kind of like able to communicate between all these things. And there's a hum- huge amount of value in that, not not necessarily for myself, but for the space and for, uh, you know, the goals that we had set in mind. And, and if that's, you know, it's like I didn't have more than 10,000 Twitter followers until recently. And I tried to stay kind of pseudo anonymous because it made me nervous to think about being a public figure in this emerging space. But I kind of, the texture punks actually the accidentally kind of pushed me into a place where I realized my voice is something kind of unique and the value that I have is kind of unique. And it may be something that I have a responsibility to, to keep pushing forward, which is why I'm like agreeing to be on podcasts and, and accepting like that maybe if, you know, if I have the opportunity to speak like this, it's good. Like, which I didn't know about until I did like a voice chat in the texture punks discord and just i talked like this and i just talked about who i am and what what i've been through and what i think and it just like the energy shifted and i think it just juxtaposition between people who know me from like twitter and then they hear how i talk it almost like it creates some sort of weird like mind fuck thing where they're like whoa this is kind of more interesting than i thought it was going to be which was not my intention but again when i see something I'm not going to shy away from it. There's an opportunity. So run with it. Yeah, that's good. It is important in the space, kind of that authentic kind of bridge builder kind of role, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, the way that I got in, in touch with those, those, the researchers, the, who are professors or whatever, write papers is I accidentally got into a Twitter argument with them. And one of them was like, crypto fucking sucks. And I was like, yo dude, like chill out. Like I went and I looked at his Twitter thing and he'd made like a, funny joke about taco bell and i was like dude this joke is so funny why do you think we're not friends and then they were like they messaged me personally and apologized and they were like if you want to chat for real we can and so like i i got to talk to them about what they're doing and how important i think their work is in terms of analyzing the way that social media and technology affects and that i share the same concerns and i think building those bridges are really important because tech people aren't necessarily reaching out to those people and those people don't necessarily know how to get into tech, but but bridging those gaps and build, building bridges is really important. And I think also the same is, can be said for, you know, popular culture as well. And so there aren't a lot of people who can sit and like talk to rappers and also talk to people who write technical research papers for a living and also sit and talk to like crypto nerds and be fine with that. And because I don't see that, 
and I seem to be that person, it's like, well, fuck, I guess this is what I have to do. Yeah, it's pretty critical. And I'm glad that kind of you said that because I think we have to wrap up here because we're running pretty long. I mean, this has been awesome, but it's long for one of our podcast episodes. But the last question I was I had been going to ask was like, what are you doing these days? Is there anything you want to shill? Is there a particular project you're working on? But it seems like you might have answered that. And the fact that you're kind of just building these bridges, trying to bring some authenticity to space, build bridges with people, make sure people are staying involved and getting connected. But is there anything else you want to throw out here? Is there is there any texture punk alpha for for those that are tuning in looking for that? Yeah, I mean, we're going to try to I think I got sick and my dad ended up in the hospital. So the timelines got pushed back. But I think we're probably going to launch right after NFT NYC. Maybe I'll be I'll be in uh, in the area. Maybe we'll do some activations, which is what my people on my team who are in marketing call doing marketing stuff i guess i don't know <laughs> it sounds like such a stupid term uh but no i think we're gonna launch then um you know texture punks one of the things people don't understand is you i've, I've created like 188 hand drawn traits and you're going to be able to design your own character and um, mint it exactly how you want it yeah it's not going to be a random drop so like yeah, you'll be able to pick exactly what traits you want and mint the exact one you want, which is kind of a, an interesting experiment because again, like it wasn't designed to be whatever the other projects are. It's not like a casino. I really don't give a fuck what the floor is. I'm not going to pump the price. Like I say that on Twitter, I'm totally authentic about that. We sell a bunch. It's not. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to reinvest it into the project and keep doing cool stuff, but there is no roadmap. It's not I'm not going to promise you that we're going to build a metaverse. I'm going to promise you that you get to design your PFP. You get to pay whatever you pay for it. If you like it, keep it. If you think that you can flip it for more, then good luck. And, you know, if you're a researcher or somebody or anybody who thinks that you have some sort of value to, to add to, you know, anything that I'm building or the community in general, feel free to reach out. I do check my Twitter DMs and I am... Uh, to the best of my ability, somebody who's accessible. I can attest to that. That is how uh, we got in contact. You do answer your DMs, and I'm very, I'm very easy. You know what I mean? That that's it. Like I'm, I don't really have much to show. If you see texture punks and you think they're cool and you want one, join the Discord. It's in the texture punks with an X Twitter bio, and come and chat. I'm there every day, like chatting with people, and I don't know, like. Just, hey, man, you know, if you're out there listening and you're thinking about being a piece of shit scammer, don't do that. <laughs> you could find Texture at I am Texture on Twitter. Texture Punks are at Texture Punks with an X. And you can find the Discord link there. Texture, we would love to have you on again anytime that you'd like to. I was just about to say that. There seems like there's so much more to talk about. Like We didn't even get to half of our questions that we had outlined. Not even close. We're at we're at an hour thirty, and I think we could easily do another hour thirty. And I think yeah, of course, man. I mean, I'm I'm easy. You know, it's like this stuff is fun. I love chatting with people about all of these things. And I mean, even if you got through your list, I could probably still do another six hours on any subject you wanted to talk about. Yeah, maybe we'll make a date for uh, after the Texture Punks launch, and after we see what what sort of has evolved from there, we can have you back and and. and uh... And, and go at it again. It would be our pleasure. For sure. Thanks, Bacon. Thanks, Chair. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for yeah being here and making that website so I enjoyed the ecosystem. <laughs>
yeah, literally, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And that it's, I, it, it's still like uh, this, this, this is a full circle moment for me. And I've had conversations like this because I've avoided a lot of stuff, you know, like a lot of the like I just went to war with Bankless because I knew, you know, David Hoffman, like when he was fucking nobody. And uh, I didn't try to get on podcasts. I wasn't trying to shill. And then as, you know, I've kind of moved forward, it's like those people have kind of gotten too big for their britches. And it's like, don't don't fucking disrespect the people who built the industry that you now profit off of. So I'm happy to support people in the beginning now, no matter how many people your podcast have, I don't even know. I didn't even fucking check. I think you guys have like three followers. If you need some marketing help, hit me up. <laughs> yes, we are at Chair Bacon. That is a new Twitter account. So, when, but you can uh, you can find all of our past episodes, all seven of them at this point. Uh, if you search for Share What You're Making with Chair and Bacon. Cool guys, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, Texture. Cheers. <laughs>